Over the exit of the Arakeen landing field, crudely carved as though a poor instrument, there was an inscription that Muhadib was to repeat many times. He saw it that first night on Arrakis, having been brought to the ducal command post to participate in his father's first full staff conference. The words on the inscription were plead to those leaving Arrakis, but they fell with dark import on the eyes of a boy who had just escaped a close brush with death. They said, O oh, you who know what we suffer here, do not forget us in your prayers. From Manual of Muhadi for the Princess Irma. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And my name is Caleb Pauls. No, it's not. <laughs> my name is Evan Diaz. You have like two lines. How do you mess up two <laughs> lines? And together, we're going to read some Dune. Yep, we are. Okay, that was close enough on the second one. We'll call it. That works. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing, boss? Pretty good. Good. Well, it's a cold... No, it's not. It's not a cold night at all here in Georgia. Very warm. It's a very warm night. It might rain later, which to my California brain just blows my mind. I don't understand how it can rain in the middle of summer, but it does, and I'm happy about it. I'm not going to lie. There's no rain on Arrakis, so that's got to suck. I guess. (laughs) So we're going to enter this chapter, chapter 12. Um, we can go over the quote real fast. Anything pop out in that quote? Hold up. I always leave my bookmark at the end of the chapter, and then I got to find the beginning of the chapter. Oh, don't you hate it when that happens? Yes. Especially because you've just reading like minutes before we get on this. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Um, you weren't listening to the intro? The intro was pretty good. I said it right there. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> What I got out of the uh, the uh, quote there, Caleb, <clears throat> is <clears throat> that that inscription is grim, you know? Because, like, okay, oh, you who know what we suffer here, do not forget us in your prayers. Like, I guess they're stuck. I think about the last chapter, you know, we met the, the Corsmen, right, who were, like, yeah. just getting, and um, and we'll get into the chapter because Duke asked Gurney, like, hey, how many did we get of those people right. that were trying to leave? There's definitely that, like, people are here for the money, and it sucks. Right. Like, a few, you could probably work on Arrakis, you know, for five, seven years at a time. And then you have enough money to go back home and, you know, buy a nice house. But it's never, the work here is not easy. Right. To but quote, boarding, I guess, monetarily. I think, oh yeah, strictly monetarily. Yeah. It's not like thinking like, oh my gosh, I had an enlightened experience while working on Arrakis. It's very much like, I think only the Fremen would think of Arrakis as beautiful at the moment. And even they don't like it. Right. Um, um, one grim, you know. Yeah, it's kind of just sandy. There was, 
right here it says he saw it on the first night of Arrakis. So we just let's just uh, do a context real fast. Like we're still in night one, right? So they arrived to Arrakis, and then Paul went down for a nap, but didn't nap. Sneaky boy. And he went out to go play out with and go explore, and then um, almost got murdered. Almost got assassinated by some weird robot remote control thingy. Some weird robot snake situation. Weird thing. Found his mom uh, in a garden room, which is kind of weird as well. And he realized that, uh, remember, this is day one, by the way. And then they learn, Mapes tells him, by the way, there's a traitor in your midst. They find the uh, B'nai Gesserit letter from uh, Lady Fenring. Someone's trying to kill y'all. Somebody in the ranks. We don't know who. It's one of your trusted people. Right. Um, then we meet Dad. Dad is freaking out. He's, again, day one, they try to take the life of my son. And now we're here at uh, their first staff meeting. Right. It's been a busy day. Could you imagine just, like, how much stress is just coursing through their veins at the moment? Right. They just got there, and so much crap has happened already. I mean, and they know, they know they're walking to a trap. Like, they're waiting for the trap to be sprung. And this, I think in here, in this chapter, they talk about how many Harkonnen they've already killed. Right. Um, but these and, are like agents, right? They're like right. sneaky leftover Harkonnen agents. Right. They're like dressed in plain clothes, I think. I don't think they're like full on in the the livery, as they call it, you know, the regalia, but like they're just sneaky people. Um, So I guess we'll get into that, into the meeting itself. I like how the um, meeting starts with the Duke saying, and he's talking to Paul here. They're in in the room, in the staff conference room at the table. It's like a long table with like a map probably of Arrakis of the, of the Northern pole where they're at. Right. Um, and then there's windows that look out. So the Duke is talking to Paul. I think Paul's sitting down at this point at the table. He says the whole theory of warfare is calculated risk. The Duke said, but when it comes to risking your own family, the element of calculation gets submerged in other things. Other things. Right. It's like the, I think he's almost regretting doing this. Right. Because now his his whole strategic mind and his judgment is clouded by, they tried to take the life of my son. Like right, his heart is in it. Yeah. When you're like hatching a plan like this, you're kind of just like, oh yeah, we can make it work because if we play these cards right, we can come out on top and like get some goodness out of this but then when you're in the middle of it it's like shoot yeah like well what do i do here we're only gonna lose a hundred men it'll be fine you know end up on top but what one of those now but now one of those hundred men is your wife and son yeah it's like oh snap do i want to make that risk right um (laughs) he said uh The Duke and Paul were alone in the conference room at the landing field. It was an empty sounding room, furnished only 
with a long table, old-fashioned, three-legged chairs, a mat board, and a projector on one end. Paul sat at the table near the mat board. He had told his father his experience with the hunter-seeker and given reports of the traitor threatening him. So Jessica said, yo, tell your dad. Like, there needs to be the three of us in this together. Don't quite trust anybody else. Um, the Duke stopped across from Paul, pounded the table. How it told me this house was secure. And then I'll He's been waiting to say that, you know, he's been waiting to that Steve and not ready for Paul's reaction. Paul is so tranquil here. Um, it's almost like there's no emotion. Right. Well, he's, he's been trained in however many ways to like conceal it or to like redirect that emotion and that energy into a different, like, actually productive manner. Yeah. So Paul then spoke hesitantly at first, right? I was angry too at first, and I blamed Howitt, but a threat came outside the house. It was simple, clever, and direct. It would have succeeded were it not for the training given given to me by you and many others, including Howitt. Are you defending him? <laughs> like, it's not like reparenting thing. It's like if you're with your mom and dad and they're, Getting a little upset, and you're like, but wait a minute, if we just take an outside look. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> I like Paul's response. Are you defending him? Yes. <laughs> Were you not listening? Of course I'm defending him. He's getting old. He's wise with much experience, Paul said. Yeah. How many mistakes can you recall? Right. Like, come on. And the Duke was like, I, you know, I should be the one defending him, not you. And then just that, that fatherly, paternal aspect comes over, right? Leto sat down at the head of the table, put his hand over his son. You've matured lately, son. He lifted his hand. It gladdens me. It he, gladdens matches, me. he matches his son's smile. How it will punish himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Makes so much sense. Like, yeah, so, how it is. no, don't worry, he'll shame himself good, he'll be fine. We'll just move on, <laughs> and that's exactly uh, what happens, right? Right? We, we hear a rap at the door, and the door gets banged open. Thufer strode in, looking older and more leathery than ever. He paced down the length of the table, stopping at attention to face Lita, my lord. He said, speaking to a point over Lita's head. Yeah. I can't look you in the eye in this one, sir. I'm sorry. I've just learned how I failed you. It's come necessary that I tender my resig. Oh, sit down and stop acting the fool. <laughs> Shut up. Sit down. You, right? He waved to the chair next to Paul. You've made a mistake. He was overestimating the Harkonnens. Their simple minds came up with a simple trick. We didn't count on simple tricks. Like, when in doubt, make, tell, the, tell everyone the Harkonnens are stupid. Like right. that's that's the political move at the time. It's like I don't know what to say. What's this up? Yeah, let's just say the Harkonnens are dumb. Yay! Get everybody riled up. Stupid. He does that again later here. <laughs> Stupid Harkonnens. Stupid. <laughs> We're talking about how greedy they are, or something. Right, right. So how it sinks down in his chair. 
And he goes, I'll hear, I'll hear no more of it. The incident's passed. We have other things to do. Like, yo, day one, we have a lot of days left. Let's keep going. He says, where are the others? Right. I asked, I asked them to wait outside while I, you know, tender his resignation is what he's going to want to say right there. But instead, the, uh, the Duke calls him in. I like how, like, caught off guard how it is. But I, I was, I told him, like, <laughs> it's completely threw him off. Yes. He's like, no, no, we'll just, uh, we'll just keep going here. Right. So in comes um, the crew. So Gurney comes in. Halleck led the, a file of men into the room. The staff officers looking grimly serious, followed by the younger aides and specialists. An air of eagerness among them. Brief scuffing sounds echoed around the room as the men took seats. A faint smell of... Oh, I don't know this word. Do you know this word, Evan? No. I, I remember reading it and being like, okay. Ratchet. It's R-A-C-H-A-G. Stimulant wafted down the table. It's probably some sort of, like, aroma so, drug. Nope. Rashag. It's in the glossary of Dune. It says a caffeine-type stimulant from yellow berries. Cool. So so like Arrakis cocaine, basically? I don't, it's probably not even from Arrakis. It's probably from another, because I don't know where they would find berries. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, the only thing, the only thing Arrakis has is spice. Um, so it's probably, yeah, it's a stimulant from Caladan, probably. Yeah. And then Duke says, there's coffee for those who want it. He looked over the men, thinking, they're a good crew. A man could have do far worse in this kind of war and waited while coffee was brought to them from an adjoining room and served, noting the tiredness on some of their faces. Here's something I thought about. Coffee on Arrakis, it's like you purposefully boiled and dirtied water so you could wake up. Like, that's a pretty pretty baller move to make on Arrakis. Or at least it that way. I just think Frank loves coffee, Frank Herbert. And just, he's like, I just, well, well if I'm in a meeting, it's really, yeah, every, bring coffee in, everyone loves you. Right. I just love how coffee is always used. And I mean, not spoilers, that uh, there is such thing as spiced coffee. Ooh. So they have spiced coffee later on, to which they drink a lot of. So I just think that Frank Herbert was an avid coffee drinker. And probably, you know, next to his typewriter, or something he's got his coffee mug always full and i imagine it's like one of those like big gulp ones <laughs> yeah. got a big one like the big giant dunkin donuts tumbler. right boom his wife probably brings it to him and it's like full of coffee it's like, i got some writing to do honey bum, 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 bum. <laughs> well gentlemen the duke says our civilization appears to have fallen so deeply into the habit of invasion that we that we cannot even obey a simple order of the Imperium without the old ways cropping up. Dry chuckles sound around the room. Around, he's digging at the Harkonnens again. Like, huh, we can't even do a simple thing like take over a planet without killing some Harkonnens. You know, it's like, ha, 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 Paul realizes that his father had said the precise thing in, in a precisely the correct tone to lift the mood. 
Even the hint of fatigue in his voice was right. So now, first things first. Boom. We want to know about the Fremen. Right. So the Duke asked Thufer, right? He'd be the person who knows. He knows. He's the supercomputer in the group. Um, what do we know about the Fremen so far? So, um, he, how it says... I can say now that the Fremen appear more and more to be the allies we need. They're waiting now to see if we can, if they can trust us, but they appear to be dealing openly. They sent us gifts, steel suits of their own manufacture, maps of certain desert areas, according and surrounding strong ports, the Harkonnens left behind. So I think a really, it also says that their intelligence reports have proved completely reliable and have helped us considerably in our dealings with the judge of the change. They've also sent um, incidental things, jewelry for the Lady Jessica. We have met that already. Uh, spice liqueur, candies, med- and medicinals. My men are processing the lot right now. There appears to be no trickery. So, I mean, I think what's cool is that the Fremen give them still suits. Um, we'll learn about still suits but basically the gist of them is in order to survive on the open desert, you have to wear this suit, the skin type suit that reclaims all of the water in your body. Right. And then you can drink it again. So you lose like less than a percentage of your, the water in your body if you're in the open desert and, yeah. and the Fremen make the still suits the best because they live in the desert. Yeah. So, this so is those are needed. Your, your water. Right, and you never have to worry about what you're going to wear that day because you're just wearing your still suit. Right. And that's why uh, Mapes in her chapter was like, I don't even have to wear a still suit in here. Me! This old lady! (laughs) To be honest, I'm just trying to get a Mapes voice into every single chapter. Yeah, I'm so thankful. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) A man down the table, right? Do you like these people, Thufer? How it turned to face his questioner and says, Duncan Idaho says they're be t- to be admired. You know, I feel like everybody nods. Oh, yeah, everyone loves Duncan. So if Duncan likes somebody, they can't be too bad. Right. Which we, we meet Duncan in this chapter for the first time. Right. And, that, and I'll get your impressions of him when he shows up. Um, and then Paul chips in because he's... I mean, if Paul's going to be a meeting, he might as well ask a question. Right. Which is, you know, for all you youngsters out there, if you're in a meeting, make sure, and if you're in a meeting you have no business being in, make sure you ask at least one decent question. That's, that's a good, that's a good uh, piece of advice there, Caleb. Listen, youngsters, Caleb knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do dumb questions like I did. Do smart <laughs> ones like Paul does. <laughs> So Paul asks, have you any new information on how many Fremen there are? Because our Conan reports, the Imperium reports, we don't know how many Fremen there are. So that's the the, the burn-in question we want to know. How many right. are there? And Paul's been wanting an answer to this question like this whole time. Right. He hates when questions go unanswered. Right. Like his, his Mentap brain just can't handle it. He's like, there is an answer somewhere. I must find it. Um. How it looks at Paul says from food processing and other evidence, Idaho estimates the cave complex he visited consisted of some 10,000 people. 
their leader said he ruled sieches of 2,000 hearsts. So we have reason to believe there are a great many siege communities. All of them give their allegiance to someone called Liette. So we're looking at a lot of people. Right. Okay. So that's that's one siege or siege or however you say that. Um, that would be a dwelling of Fremen place. Right. One dwelling, but they don't even know how many dwellings there are because who knows how many Fremen there are like out in the desert or like on the outskirts, you know? So it's, it's not really any kind of answer to Paul's question. Right. We, all we know from that answer is all of these sieches give their allegiance to someone called Liet. Right. And okay. I think, uh, yeah. One, one more thing about that. He's, they made the, he got the numbers from the amount of like food that they, they bring in, but like, how, do, how does he know how much food Fremen consume as opposed to people in Caladan? So, like, that 10,000 could be 20,000 if they're used to eating half as much, you know? Yes. And I'm sure Duncan, like, got a broad overview, but he probably didn't visit everything. He's just, like, he's probably just amazed at what the CH looked like. Right. Because um, at the end of this, Duncan pretty much becomes one of the Fremen. He's, like, in. Right. Oh. Um, so what we knew is, and so Lido, Lido says, well, this is something new. The Liette thing is new. And Howard says, it could be an error on my, on my part, but uh, there are things that suggest that Liette may be a local deity. And we'll, we'll learn later kind of more about how that works out. And then we talk about the smugglers, and the smugglers work directly with the Fremen in the Sieches, right? They use pack beasts, and they're usually in 18-day journey to get probably in and out with the spice. So it would look like the Fremen mine the spice somehow, and then the smugglers come pick it up, and so that's the down of their relationship. And during this time of unrest, as per usual, the smugglers have redoubled their operations. Um, so that was good. Um, to which the Duke's answer to this would be he would let them continue to work as so but just do a little ducal tithe and then that tithe would go back to the emperor to kind of undercut the Harkonnens even more because what the emperor cares about most is the spice right and bureaucracy and yes and keeping keeping himself on top right which as is all like leaders. Leto has this incredible ability to find legal ways of dealing with all of these problems where the Harkonnens are kind of just like, whatever, you do everything as sketchy as possible and make the most profit. When, and right after this, it says, there's a question of, um, the Duke asked, like, did you get the accounting books? Um, and he said, so he did. And on the first approximation that the Harkonnens took out 10 billion Solaris out here, out of out of here, out of Arrakis, every 360 standard days. Jeez. So they pulled out a lot of money from the spice right. every year. They were just, how much spice can they get? That's literally all they care about. Right. And I think everyone's going, holy cow, that's a lot. How are we going to survive? Right. I mean, they were doing it in 
sketchy ways. And that's, I'm assuming the only way they were making that much because they talk about their profit margins later on of like what the Duke could make. And it was like slim pickings. Like it was not good news. Right. Cause he doesn't have the material yet or even how the Harkonnens like used it. So the Harkonnens would, um, they would lose, they used shields. We'll get to this later, but they talk about shields on the open planes and how the Harkonnens used them and how it did not work for them. Right. Um, I, I just want to get that. Anyway, let's continue. I want to get to this Halleck quote. So we talk about how much uh, money the Harkonnens made and Halleck murmurs, for they shall suck the abundance of the seas and for the treasure hid in the sand. Just a good old Halleck random quotation. And that's when Leto's like, see, guys, this is why the Harkonnens aren't going to leave. Like, you think they would give up that much money just because the emperor said so? Right. Um, so then we talk about the judge of the change, how it said, right? It says in full complement, it says that the imperial audit or in the imperial inventory was audited by the judge of the change. He gestured for an aide to pass him a folder. He opened the folder on the table in front of him. They neglected to mention that less than half the crawlers are operable and only a third of the carryalls to fly them and the spice sands. That's everything the Harkonnens left is ready to break down and fall apart. We're lucky to have half the equipment this operation and luckier if a fourth of it is still working six months from now. So they have nothing to do the job with. Was it, okay, with that, is it like, the Harkonnens took all of the functioning machinery or they just kind of, you know, drive it till the wheels fall off. And then like, they just so happen to be left with a bunch of crapped out equipment. It's probably both. And like, if, okay, if I'm the Harkonnens and I'm forced to leave, I'm going to make sure my adversary is given next to nothing to survive and do the job. Right. Right. And they probably did run the equipment to the bones, and anything that wasn't worth taking, they left. Right. They're not very, like, mindful or, like, careful with that kind of stuff. They just got money, so it's like, whatever. Right, they just buy everything as much as possible. When you run it till it's dead, buy something, buy a new one. Yeah. Um, so you have a... So there's sand crawlers, harvesters, spice factories carry-alls um and so let's see so they're talking about like how long it's going to take um due to the firm estimate on the basic equipment how it glances folder about 930 half harvester factories that can be sent out in a few days and 6,250 ornithopters for surveying and scouting and weather observation. Carry-alls, little under 1,000. So those are the three things you need. You need the ornithopters to scout. You need the carry-all to carry the factory. Then right. you drop, they drop the factory on the spice. And then when the, sand, when, the, when the sandworm comes, and the sandworm always comes, you got to pick it back up. You have to have the ornithopter to spot it, and then the carry-all has to come to pick it back up and take it away. Gosh. Yeah, that's got to be crazy. That's intense, you know? You just got to drop a big, giant machine in the middle of the desert, 
work it until a monster comes and then pick it back up. Hurry, hurry, it's coming. <laughs> um, Halleck said, wouldn't it be cheaper to oh, reopen negotiations with the guild for permission to orbit a frigate as a weather satellite? Um, <laughs> the Duke looked at Howitt, says nothing new. Howitt said, we must pursue other avenues. The guild agent wasn't really negotiating with us. He was merely making it plain, one, mad, one, ta one mentat to another, that the price was out of reach and would remain so no matter how long a reach we develop. So basically, no money in the universe can make them drop a weather satellite on this thing. Right. Make it any easier. Um, so the guild wants Arrakis this way. Right. So how it also said... Our task is to find out why before we approach them again. So that maybe they can, if they know why they won't give the satellite to the Atreides, maybe they can figure something out. Yeah. I mean, if I'm, ha yeah, that that's what I would think. You would think, like, if we can find out why they need it so much, maybe we have an angle on them. Um, right. They don't They don't get that chance to ever figure that out. Um, but the, the guild definitely doesn't want Arrakis to change. Because they need the spice too. Right, because all of the the guild navigators use spice to do their jobs. So right. they don't they need the spice to maintain their monopoly. So they're probably working with the smugglers to make sure they get the spice. So they're working in different regions here. Yeah. Um <laughs> so then we talk about we look at other houses, right? It's like, is there anybody that can help us in this? Can they send us anything? Um, and the Duke says, most houses have got, grown fat by, fake, by taking few risks. One cannot truly blame them. We can only despise them. So we're looking at new equipment. No, nothing's going to help us. Do, do, do. We have then a projection pops up, like a do, 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 do on the table and we're looking at what is all, what does this equipment look like? Paul leaned forward, staring at the machine. We have a giant um, harvester factory. Scaled around it were tiny projections of human figures. The thing was about 120 meters long and about 40 meters wide. It was basically a long bug-like body movement on independent set of wide tracks. This is a harvest factory, how it said. So this one they called the Old Maria. It belongs in a museum, an aide said. <laughs> I think I think the Harkonnens kept it as a punishment job, a threat hanging over the workers' heads. Be good or you'll be assigned to the Old Maria. <laughs> Talk yeah, about the interjections from, uh, from random soldiers at the table. I mean, if the whole thing could be narrated by random soldiers, I think it would be just as good as the whole thing was in by Gurney quotes. <laughs> And then, of course, what does Paul think about instantaneously? He thinks about the worms. He, he, think, he cares about like three things. <laughs> he cares about Fremen, cares about worms, and spice. Yeah. Which makes sense. Thufer, are the sandworms big enough to swallow that hole? Silence settled on the table. The dupe cursed under his breath. And then he thought, no, we need to face hard realities. Right. Howitt says... There are worms in the deep desert that could take this entire factory in one gulp. Gulp? 
And so this was the big harvester, and uh, that thing can swallow it whole. Up here, closer to the shield wall, where most of the spicing's done, there are plenty of worms that could cripple the factory and devour it at leisure. So Paul's obvious question, why don't we shield them? We have shields. That would stop. That stops most things. According to Idaho's report, how it said, shields are dangerous in the desert. Everybody, a uh, body-sized shield can call every worm for 100 meters around and drive them into a killing frenzy. That's not helpful. Not at all. Like, that's the last thing you want is to drive. Can you imagine just 100 worms? Oh, I can't even. I mean, you don't even know what one looks like at this point. You can only, like, imagine that they're just massive, colossal, ancient beasts of right. disaster. <laughs> like, if Godzilla were an earthworm, just bigger. Right. 100 of them. Oh, my gosh. Um. The we have the Fremen word on this, and no reason to doubt it. Out of Idaho, Duncan Idaho said, uh, No evidence of shield equipment at the siege, none at all. Paul asked, So, um, he goes, and the Duke goes, Uh, oh, it's a puzzle, no shields, makes sense. But the Harkonnens used plenty of shields, they had repaired depots on every garrison village, and their accounts show heavy expenditure for shield replacement of parts. So there's something weird happening here. I mean, it goes back to how dumb the Harkonnens are. I guess. Like, and and I guess maybe it's not maybe it's not dumb, but how many how much resources they have and how they're used to spending money. That's just they would never take off a shield, even if it's bad for you. So. Right. Plus, like they have so many men that they're just expendable. Right, they're just expendable people. Okay. Um, so then, you know, the speculation goes, well, the Fremen, can the Fremen take down a shield? Do they have like devices to do that? That's probably not it. Um, so now we go from, we have a, we have the harvester and what picks up the harvester is a carry-all. So essentially it's a large thopter whose sole function is to deliver a factory to spice rich sands and then rescue the factory when the sandworm appears. They always appear. Right, and the carryalls are even bigger than the factories. Yeah, they got to pick them up somehow, full of spice too. Right. Um. So then you have, and then you have thopters, which are regular thopters, which would circle around and look for worm sign. Um, that's when you know the worms are coming, so they can call the carryall and then come pick it up. Um. And the major modification to the thopter is it can go faster and extra care has been used to sealing in essential areas against sand and dust. And only about one in 30 is shielded. And that's why they can go faster because they don't have a shield on them. Right. And farther. Mm-hmm. Right. And Duke was like, I don't like this de-emphasis on shields. Yeah. And of course his mind. About it. I mean, I wouldn't like it either. He starts to think that this is a Harkonnen plot. Right. Like, if we don't have shields, they can attack us and working forward. Um, so then they talk about, do, 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 do. Uh, how much will an estimate, right, after day one, what their equipment is, how they do it, how many men, how much do you think they could do? So under the Harkonnens, Maintenance salaries were held to 14%. 
We'll be lucky to make 30% at first. With the reinvestment, growth factors counted for, including the CHOM percentage, military costs, our profit margins will be reduced to a narrow 6 or 7% until we can replace worn-out equipment. And then we should move up to 12 or 15, like the Harkonnens had. Unless my lord wishes to adopt Harkonnen methods. And then Duke was like, no, we're here trying to be good people. We want... Um, we have to keep a large percentage of the people happy, especially the Fremen, right? Because the Fremen are their deal makers. They need they need the Fremen to work. They're they're counting on the Fremen getting on our side so we can fight the Harkonnens. So the Duke has this theory, right? So he says our supremacy on Caladan depended on sea and air, right? So it was an oceanic um, planet, so they needed to rule the seas and they needed to rule the air. Here they have desert, so we choose to call it desert power. They have to have the desert, the desert power. So what does it mean to rule the desert? Um, so then the Duke has this plan, right? He knows the Harkonnens are coming. And um, so they'll have to move fast with the Fremen. And he says he'd like full five full battalions of Fremen troops before the first Chome audit. But that's easier said than done. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It could, could you imagine trying to like persuade natives? By the way, I'd like five of your finest battalions of soldiers to be on our side when the king comes to uh, do his investigation. No, I'm sorry. I don't really care about you. Because we're cool. Um, Howard says, we don't have much time. And then the Duke goes, we don't have time. They'll be here with Sardaukar disguised as Harkonnens at the first opportunity. How many do you think they'll ship in? And then, you know, four or five battalions, probably. No more. Being, you know, the guild transport troops, what the cost is. So they're trying to, how do we match Harkonnen power with the power they don't have on that first audit? Um, the Duke is kind of noticing at this point how aged Thufur looks at this point. And Paul, even, even Paul kind of notices it. So much depends on one aged man. Like he did serve three generations of Atreides at this point. And Duke says, we are presently in a war of assassins. It, but it's not a full achieved scale. And so the war of assassins would be these ancient wars that were fought between armies of people, which would like be armies of four or five just minor assassins trying to take out other people. So let's get down to the good stuff here. Um, let's see what's happening. I just wanted to get a point where Duncan Idaho comes in. Right. All right. We know that, that lots of things are in trouble for the Duke and the plan, but we're missing Duncan Idaho who came with the Fremen. A disturbance at the door interrupted him. Duncan Idaho came through the, door, came through the guard there, hurried down the length of the table, and bent over the Duke's ear. Leto waved him back. Speak out, Duncan. You can see this is strategy staff. <laughs> Paul studied Idaho, marking the feline movements, the swiftness of his reflex, reflexes that made him such a difficult weapons master to emulate. Idaho's dark round face turned towards Paul. Paul recognized the mask of serenity over excitement. 
Idaho says, we've taken a force of Harkonnen mercenaries disguised as Fremen. The Fremen themselves sent us as a courier to warn of the false band. In the attack, however, we found the Harkonnens had waylaid the Fremen courier, badly wounded him. We bring him here for, for treatments by our medics when he died. I'd seen how badly off this man was, and I stopped to do what I could. I surprised him in the attempt to throw something away. Idaho glanced down at the widow. A knife, my lord. A knife the like of which you've never seen. A Chris knife? Someone asked. No doubt it. No doubt about it, Idaho said. Milky white and glowing with a light of its own like. And then right as he's about to unsheath this thing, we've seen one of these before, because Mapes yeah. gave Jessica one. Yeah. So right as he's about to undo it, we hear a keep the blade in its sheath. We turn around, we see a tall robed figure stood in the door. And I mean, he's got a hood on, a black veil that exposed eyes of total blue with no white in them. Idaho's like, okay, let him in. He's cool. And then Idaho introduces him. This is Stiglar, chief of the CH I visited, leader of those who warned us about the false band. And this is where Stiglar kind of gets in the Duke's face. The Duke is like, so why shouldn't I un like unsheath this blade? Stiglar glances at Idaho and says, you observe the customs of our cleanliness and honor among us. I would permit you to see the blade of a man you've befriended. Like, you don't get to see this weapon. I get to show you my weapon because you're my friend. Right. Wait, this random one. No, no, you don't have the honor to do that. Or just this room full of, like, aliens, basically. Like, you don't get to... Right. So the Duke, he's like, oh, wait, but I'm Duke Leto. Would you permit me to see the blade? I'll permit you to earn the right to unsheath it. Ooh. Sigurd said as a mutter of protest surrounded the table. He raised a thin, darkly veiled hand. I remind you, this is the blade of one who befriended you. And then Paul was like, holy cow, this guy's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like virtue and like honor of the Fremen for the first time. Yeah, this is a real Fremen leader. We'll yeah. need more of this in our lives. Um, and I just love how Stigwar in this point he is he keeps to the commands of his people he doesn't bend his will to the duke doesn't really care he likes duncan because he found that duncan to be virtuous but he could care less right because remember in the last chapter how duke Lido was like oh all this frivolous propaganda like nobody yeah. really cares stiglar doesn't care Right. He's finally like voicing what the Duke we'd have always known, but to his face. Um, so at this point in time, they like, they honor each other. Um, it is my custom, the knife remains sheathed here. <sighs> then it is so ordered by me. Right. And then Duke, the Duke, says, you're right, I'm going to respect you, Stiglar. The Fremen stared at the Duke, then slowly pulled aside his veil, revealing a thin nose and a full-lipped mouth and a glistening black beard. 
deliberately. Yeah. yeah, you gotta have that black beard going on. Yeah, that Evan beard. <laughs> Just imagine yourself in this scene, Evan. You'd be great. To our listeners listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Evan does in fact have a beard. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it every time we record. It's quite luscious. <laughs> so Stigler deliberately bent over the end of the table and spat on its polished surface. And the soldiers go crazy. They're like, God, what the, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Man? And then Idaho's like, whoop. Wait, we thank you, Stigvar, for the gift of your body's moisture. We accept it in the spirit of which it was given. Then Idaho spits on the table. He's like, wait, wait, I know this one. This is what you do. (laughs) Duke, you sent me to figure out what the customs were. I got it. Spit on the table. And then he like takes the Duke, kind of like whispers to him, remember how uh, precious water is here? Sir, that was a token of respect. Yeah. Lido sinks back into his own chair, catches Paul's eye, a rueful glint on, on his son's face, and sends a slow relaxation of the tension around the table. Right, because the guys were like, hey, what, what do you do? What? Oh, yeah. All right, the water thing. Oh, that was a good thing. <laughs> okay. And um, Paul just. And Paul just loves every minute of his tension. He's like, this is fantastic. Right away, too. And he's like, gosh, what is happening? This is crazy. <laughs> so the Fremen looks at Idaho. You measured well in my CH, Duncan Idaho. Is there a bond of allegiance to your duke? And then Idaho to, to the duke. says, He's asking me to enlist it with him, sir. <laughs> and the Lido, will he accept your dual allegiance? And Idaho, wait, you want me to go with him? And Lido's like, yeah, man. I wish you to make your own decision in the matter. <laughs> I, I, I read that line twice because after that it said, um, uh, I wish you to make your own decision in the matter. Lido said, and he could not keep the urgency out of his voice. So then I had to read it again. Like, I wish you to make your own decision. on the Like, I want you to make a decision already. Like, can you do it, please? You have to do this, not me. Idaho studied the Fremen. Would you have me under these conditions, Stigvar? There are times that I have to return to the service of my duke. You fight well, and you did your best for our friend, Stigvar said. Let it be thus. The man Idaho keeps the Chris knife he holds as a mark of allegiance to us. He must be cleansed, of course, the rites observed, but this can be done. He will be a Fremen and soldier of the Atreides. There is precedent for this. Liet serves two masters. So Liet is the guy that all of the Fremen put their allegiance to, and we know that Liet serves two masters. Right. But we don't know if it's like a deity or if it's an actual guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. What, what is that? Is this just a, yeah, we don't know what Liet means yet. Um, Duncan? Leto asked. I understand, sir, Idaho says. It is agreed, said Leto. Your water is ours, Duncan, Idaho. Your, the body of your friend remains with your duke. The water is Atreides' water, is the bond between us. Mm. Leto sighed, glanced at Howitt, catching the old Mintite's eye. 
Howitt nodded, his expression pleased. Like, ah, thank God something went well today. <laughs> I needed this. Um, <laughs> Stiglar started to turn away. Will you not stay a while, Lido asked. The Fremen turned back, whipping his veil into place with a casual gesture, adjusting something beneath it. Paul glimpsed what well, looked like a thin tube before the veil settled into place. Is there reason to stay? The Fremen asked. We would honor you, the Duke said. Honor requires that I be elsewhere soon. And he leaves. Right. Thus ends our first encounter with Stigvar, the leader of the CH. Right. And okay, okay. Is it Stiglar or Stilgar? That's probably Stilgar. Am I saying it wrong? I'm probably am. I'm sorry for all the listeners slash watchers slash Evan. Make sure because sometimes you know things I don't know, but I'm reading S T I L G A R. Say it say it for me again. Say it in your sexy voice. Stilgar. Oh yeah. Stilgar. Ooh. You should, you should read Stilgar from now on. I don't know if I can match your... Every time it's in, it's in the book, it's Stilgar. I mean, he's, he does have that model-esque kind of mysterious quality to it. Right. That glistening black beard, man. How can you top it? You can't. <laughs> um, and then we have Idaho talking to the rest of the group, and we talk about the Chris Knife. And um, it says that one of the mercenaries we knocked over was trying to get this blade from our dead Fremen friend. The mercenary said there's a Harkonnen reward for a million Solaris. 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 For anyone who brings us a single Chris knife. And Lido goes, why do they want these blades so badly? Right, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So here they will be going in the plan. The knife is ground from the sandworm's tooth. It is a mark of a Fremen. With it, a blue-eyed man could penetrate any siege in the, in the land. They'd question me unless I were known. I don't look Fremen, but... But who looked Fremen? Piter. Piter has blue eyes and is addicted to spice. So I, forgot I, I read the name Piter, and I was like, I've heard this name before, but yeah. Yeah, the Baron's Twisted Mentat. Sneaky. I missed that when I just read this. It's okay. That's why we're doing this podcast, like directly after you read it. Yeah, so that I can not miss things. (laughs) It's not for you, listeners. It's for me. I'm a bit of a dummy. I need some help (laughs) reading this book, and that's what reading Dune is all about. I mean, to be honest, after like the fourth time reading it, I finally caught all of the nuances. So I'm still learning things here too. Cool. Um, but yeah, if Piter can get a knife, he can infiltrate a CH and probably, I mean, they're, I guess the Harkonnens want more spice and the Fremen have access to more spice. Right. Um, so, yes. Do, 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 do. Then we learn about the um, how the Fremen said there were more than 200 of these advanced bases that were built on Arrakis during the Desert Botanical Testing Station period. Right. 
all were supposedly abandoned. Duke asked if there's equipment because he wants to repair what's, you know, he's got broken. But it, no one knows where they are except for Liette. When they question any Fremen about these botanical testing stations, all they all we hear is Liette knows. And Leo goes, God knows. Like, great, that's really going to help me. Right. But then how it's like, well, perhaps not. You heard Stilgar use the name. See, I said it right this time. Thank you. Stilgar. Stilgar. Could you have been, could he have been referring to a real person serving two masters? Halleck said. Sounds like a religious quotation. This judge of the change, Leto said, the imperial ecologist Kynes, would, would he know where the bases are? So now we talk about Kynes, right? Who is the judge of our ch- judge of the change, imperial servant and planetologist sent there by the emperor. And who low-key sucks. Well, it's I mean, yeah. Really difficult to deal with, apparently. Yes, he's not he's not making it easy. Right. Um so the bases are still legally part of the Emperor's fife. So he would have to get the Emperor's permission to get in there. Um, so, yeah, that's something they're looking for. Right, uh, but they, they don't want to raise suspicion with the Judge of the Change because then it'll, like, work its way up to the Emperor and the Emperor is going to get pissed and it's just, like, this is big, bad snowball effect of awfulness. Yes. Right. Yes. So let's see. Um, we're looking for the bases. And then how it arose, glancing in the room, right? Seeking support, turns away, and uh, the meeting kind of ends. Well, there, okay, hold up. There was that, that conversation about the judge of the change got really, like, tense there for a minute, right? We're like, yeah. how it is, like, yelling. And they're all, they're all like, you can't do that. It's like, no, but you gotta, we gotta figure it out. No, but who gives that? And they're like going back and forth. And there's like a palpable tension in the room. And that's when Leto starts, you know, okay, fine, guys. Just beat you yeah. up. Talk about, like, figure out if they even exist. Like, be sneaky about it. But we need to know if these things are out there, you know? I mean, anything that can help them gain the support of the people. And if that's testing stations that either have supplies in it or ways to change the planet and make it greener, that Mm -hmm. would work well. Um, But yes, they, everybody leaves except for back Paul and uh, the Duke. For the first time, Paul allowed himself to think about the real possibility of defeat not thinking about it out of fear or because of warnings such as the one the old Reverend Mother, but facing up to it because of his own assessment of the situation. My father is desperate, he thought. Things are not going well for us at all. And that's when we kind of realized, like, the, we're trying our best here, but I don't know if our best is good enough. Right. The Duke says, best you remain here the rest of the night, son. It'll be dawn soon, anyway, and I'll, refor- I'll inform your mother. He got to his feet slowly, stiffly. You 
why don't you pull a few of those chairs together and stretch out for some rest? Again, end of night one. Yeah. I'm not very tired, sir, as you will. The Duke folded his hands behind him, being pacing up and down the length of the table. And Paul says he looks like a caged animal, not knowing what to do or how to get out. Are you going to discuss the traitor possibilities with, with Howitt? Paul asked. The Duke stopped across from his son, spoke to the dark windows. We've discussed the possibility many times. The old woman seemed so sure of herself, and the message to my mother. Precautions have been taken. So the Duke doesn't want Paul leaving for obvious reasons. Um, but Paul notices there's, there's something has changed. Something has changed. Paul stared at the place where, um, let's see. Precautions have been taken, the Duke says. He looks around the room. Paul marked the hunted wildness in his father's eyes. He turned, strode out the room, nodding shortly to the door guards. Paul stared at the place where his father had stood. The space had been empty even before the Duke left the room. And he recalled the woman's warning. For the father, nothing. So, things we learned in this chapter, uh, the, the Fremen um, spit on tables. <laughs> right. This is a sign of respect. Uh, Duncan is now, we've met Duncan, and then Duncan left to go be part of the Fremen. Um, or they like don't have, yeah. yeah. They, we, we don't have enough materials um, to really make a profit at all. And uh, let's see. But the Fremen keep sending gifts, so that's nice. And they seem cool. So far? So far, after one day. I mean, what can go wrong in one day? Everything has gone wrong in one day. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's let's hope that day two is a little bit better. Yeah. And it takes less than... 11 chapters to get through. Well, yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my like spreadsheet here with all the chapters. The the way we're looking at this Dune, this big book is going to take like a week of their time. Yeah. It feels like it. I mean, there's a good, there's a halfway through, there's a three year gap. Ah, good to know. Yeah. So listeners, we also will be taking a three year gap with Dune. No, just kidding. We just start, stop the podcast, and keep going three years later. <laughs> All right, to pick up where we left off. I feel like we were with these characters. So much has changed. Uh, anything you want to go over one more time? Anything that kind of stood out to you there, Evan? Um, there was uh, there was some good juice at one point that we didn't talk about. Yeah, uh, what ju- what juice is that? Well, uh, there was. When they were talking about the uh, the weather satellite thing with the guild mm-hmm. and how it's like, no matter how much money we make, we can't really do that because blah, blah, blah. There's a guy that just jumps up and he's like, there's no justice in this. Like he snapped, you know? Right. He, he, had, he had enough after one day. Right. And uh, Duke Leto says, justice. 
Who asks for justice? We make our own justice. We make it here on Arrakis, win or die. Do you regret casting your lot with us, sir? And the guy's like, uh, no, I just, I'm sorry. Uh, we all just feel bitter sometimes, you know? That's, that's my bad. I just kind of freaked out. And he's like, bitterness, I understand. But let us not rail about justice as long as we have arms and the freedom to use them. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it's some entitlement there, right? We like, we like to think that things should work out for us. Right. He's like, justice in this situation at least like has nothing to do with it. And like you can you can be upset and talk about justice all you want, but if you're not going to do something about it, then there's kind of no point. Right. You, yeah, you need an action with your arms and your legs and your body to make a change. Which is just a good way of thinking about injustice, even in in our society. You know, all the there's a lot of craziness going on. Right, like ranting on ranting on Twitter won't change anything. Right, but if you have arms and the ability to use them, make your own justice. Right, you can you can at least actionably do something about the injustice that you're not okay with. You know, I yeah. just think that is. Some solid wisdom from the I mean, the, you know, the Duke is full of wisdom. I don't know if it's going to work out for him, but, you know, he... It's like it's not from what yeah. Princess Irulan has told me. <laughs> Looking back at the histories, yeah, no, he doesn't make it. But the father, nothing. Right. Well, we just want to say that uh, you can always... Email us, uh, email us at readingdune at gmail.com. Reach out on Twitter, readingdune. And uh, ladies and gentle worms, I just want to say stay spicy. Yeah. All right, Evan, I'll see you next chapter. See you then. Bye, everyone. <laughs>